Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm really happy to welcome along this time uh, Suzanne Noble, who is a self-described social entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about uh, her site, the advantages of aging and her exciting new startup. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you, Emma, for having me. It's advantages of age, by the way. Advantages of age. Very important (laughs) distinction. So how did how did the website come about and when did you launch? It's a couple of years ago now. Oh my god, you won't believe this, but it was actually almost five years ago. Wow. So, yeah. so um it's all it's all a bit middle class and middling. And <laughs> you come to I the perfect was, place. <laughs> yeah. I was sitting in my hot tub. I have to say it was bought from China in the, in my back garden. Not, not with a glass of champagne? I, would, I got an image here. Prosecco, <laughs> darling. And I was sitting, I was sitting there with a, with a few of my friends and we would meet there regularly. It's a kind of running thing that I do that my girlfriends and I meet once a month in the hot tub, pre-COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we would regularly talk about the way that the media was reflecting our lives and how that just didn't seem to be like our lives it didn't reflect our lives we were reading that you know being middle-aged was all about just sagging this and rubbish that and no sex and just just generally negative and horrible and we all felt very creative very on it very alive and really quite relieved in some ways to be free of all the drama that had you know, been associated with many of our uh, youthful years. <laughs> so we, so it was actually this woman, Amanda, in the tub, and she said, we should do something called the advantages of age. And me being the person that uh, is rather impulsive, as my mother would say, and just kind of goes for things. And I've been self-employed since my 20s. So just starting things up wasn't unfamiliar to me. I went away, this is around Christmas over five years ago, and said, and just set up a website called Advantages of Age. And then they all came back to the tub um, about a month or so later. And I said, right, I've done that now. And they said, what What, what have you done? What do you mean? <laughs> They'd all forgotten and about I it. Said, that advantages <laughs> of Age thing you said, I've set up a website and I've started curating articles that I found from you know, from the from the world that are positive about age and just things about, you know, people that we admire, um, celebrities and people that we admire, them talking about getting older in a positive way and stories about positive aging. And positive aging was just kind of becoming, I could see that it was becoming a bit of a thing. And Rose, who was in the tub, who's a journalist and a PR person, she took on board the responsibility of editing it. And basically we corralled all our writer friends and journalist friends and said, would you write something? And of course they did because nobody was giving them the opportunity to write the kind of stories that we wanted them to write for advantages of age. Nobody would have published any of those stories because they didn't publish those stories because all they published was negative stories. So we started getting some phenomenal writers contributing articles to us and then we got some arts council funding about a year after we started up for some activities that we'd come up with around again around positive aging we we hired a double decker bus bought way too much prosecco and we all got dressed up in colorful clothes and then we started using the streets of london as our catwalk and we called it 
the fabulous and flamboyant bus tour. And that led to us discovering that the small hot tub that we'd started it was actually a much bigger community of people who welcomed the idea of getting together with other people who basically wanted to say F off aging. You know, we're we're going for it. And we set up a Facebook group and that's now got about 4,000 people. And then out of that sprung my other businesses, which Startup School for Seniors is actually in Advantages of Age. They are the umbrella organization for uh, delivering that. And Nestful, which is my accommodation sharing business, really was, again, just because I saw that lots of people were sharing homes and starting to talk about co-living. And I ended up living with somebody my own age and thought, this is a thing, you know, this is something that we're, some of us are forced to do and some of us want to do, but it definitely was becoming a thing. So everything kind of sprung out of that initial conversation. Yeah. So what's, um, what's USP then for, for Nestful? It's specifically the matching people who are kind of like-minded, similar kind of interests who, who are one looking to share and one looking for somewhere to share. Is, is that the idea? Yeah. So the idea is people looking for affordable accommodation can co-live with older people who have got rooms to spare. In some cases, it's people want to live with people of the same age, but we've discovered that fundamentally, you know, many of us, the only thing that we've got because we were able to buy property when we were younger because it was cheap, have got spare rooms, but we can't always afford to keep them, to keep our flats because maintaining a flat with spare rooms is expensive, as I know. And one of the ways that you can help pay the bills and meet somebody that potentially you're going to get along with is through renting out your spare room. And, you know, England has a long history of lodging anyway. So it's not a completely unfamiliar thing. I suspect what is unfamiliar is the fact that we generally associate it with something that you do when you're younger, but there are all sorts of circumstances and reasons that lead people to have to share when they're older. I call it the three Ds, divorce, death, and debt. Um, And as a result of that, often people, older people do find themselves in circumstances where they where they need to find somewhere affordable to live and sharing with somebody their own age is one of those options. And are you predominantly sort of in and around London at the moment, more nationally? Mainly, yeah. We started in London and we're mainly in London, although we're starting to get properties being listed that aren't in London. And so, yeah, I mean, we are, we, we will, we will accept properties from anywhere in the UK, but predominantly because I'm in London but my co-founders in Newcastle. So we do have ambitions to be more national. And can you tell me a bit more about the um, Startup School for Seniors? That sounds exciting. So Startup School started as it kind of evolved out of what was the Advantages of Age Business Academy, which again was the result of seeing that quite a lot of people that I knew in middle management positions were losing their jobs and were finding it really difficult to find a similar job in their sector. Because of their age, they were really struggling with knowing what to do next. And self-employment is one option. And 
for people that have been in business for, you know, for 20 years with a company and suddenly find themselves without a job, knowing even where to start to become self-employed is really challenging. As a result of COVID, the style of delivery, which had been in a physical place, we moved online and myself and my co-founder, Mark Elliott, we created over 25 hours worth of video content during last six months. Um, and we now deliver that as an eight-week, eight-session course, really starting out from the premise of you might not even have an idea or you have an idea, but you really don't know how to get started. And then we take you through all the steps to be able to actually start a business and start making some money. And that presumably applies just as much if you've decided you want a complete change of career yourself and been kind of proactive about it as opposed to sort of not having a choice and being put into that situation. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's more common for people to find themselves out of a job and then not knowing what to do than people who have a burning passion, leave their well-paid corporate job, take their big stash of money and then go, I'm going to set up this scalable, amazing thing. It doesn't, you know, that's, again, the media would have us believe that the 50 plus generation are the new startup generation because, and they are, but, but perhaps not exactly in the same way that the media has represented us as being kind of these people that want to do fast scaling tech businesses. I mean, you know, I would love Nestle to be a fast scaling tech business, but unfortunately there's numerous reasons why that may take longer than I had hoped. And a lot of that does have to do with some of the prejudice against against older people getting funded and all that. Yeah. Investors just don't take people seriously or is it just that the kind of the profile of the kind of businesses that younger entrepreneurs are setting up kind of has a more sort of sexy spin on it and you know the the more the older you get perhaps you're just a little bit more you know thinking about things that are sort of solid and and likely to succeed but don't have that kind of snappy sort of appeal that yeah I mean I think look I think I think the world of of like venture capital is massively overhyped in terms of the reality the percentage of people that try and get venture capital funding and succeed just overall is super low, right? And women, it's minutely low. I mean, I think last year's statistics was 2% of all VC funded businesses are women. That's, and, and if you're a woman like, over 50, then you've really got an uphill struggle. <laughs> so if you're a woman, and I suspect that most of that funding towards women is mostly towards women 35 and under. I don't think there's much that's going to women that are older women. And I can only name one woman <laughs> that's that's over 50 that I know that's had VC funding. And that's Anne Bowden, who runs Starling Bank, right? Yeah. Is the poster child for, <laughs> for, for older women and funding. And even when you read her story, you just think, oh my God. I mean, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty hard. So yeah, when you're over 50, it's really, it's it's going to be pretty difficult anyway. And then not having a sort of sexy business is definitely one additional challenge and hurdle that you you have to overcome. But, you know, I, I do think when people talk about investing, I do think that generally we just have to acknowledge that people that invest 
generally invest in people that look like themselves and the people that look like themselves generally are white men. I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. I'm not, you know, it's not, it's not right. And, but I, I, I kind of get why people are attracted to people that look like themselves. It does feel though that they're missing a trick in terms of the sort of the demographic, the purchasing power, especially of that kind of, you know, 50 to 65 women. You know, we, we're a, a huge swathe of the kind of the working population. We're kind of reaching those, those positions now where we have well-paid jobs in the main and we make decisions about buying stuff there's this potentially huge untapped market that people are ignoring yeah i mean let's face it advertising and all of that hasn't really caught up with the fact that actually the people with the most disposable income are generally 50 plus and they don't seem to kind of have got that. <laughs> they're still they're still chasing the buck of the of of the younger person who is, let's face it, completely disloyal, except for the short periods of time where they think, oh yeah, that's cool. And then they move on to the next thing that's cool. Whereas, you know, generally I, I think it's fair to say that older people do tend to stick with things. If they find something they like, they're just like, Yeah, I like that. And I'm just going to stick with it because it works. And I'm not going to, I don't need to deviate from it. There's no reason for me to go somewhere else. I've just found something that works and that's great. So I think, yeah, they haven't, they haven't quite cottoned on to that. I mean, I was speaking to somebody else the other day about the menopause. And I was saying that I was speaking to an American woman who's just set up a newsletter in the States called Pretty Ripe. And again, around middle age, and she's a former beauty journalist sort of works more in the fashion and beauty space. And she was saying that in the States, menopause is now becoming like quite a big thing. And there's definitely more investment being thrown at it and more money and everything. And so I think there, you know, we are starting to see that shift. Whereas when we started Advantages of Age five years ago, really nobody took us seriously. And there, mm-hmm. and, and our, and the push, you know, everybody said there are no advantages to age and it, even just the name's ridiculous. There's just, who's going to want that, right? And now we see that there's, you know, there's quite a lot of people springing up, talking about middle age, talking about menopause. So there's definitely, it's definitely shifting for sure. It's still very early days, but it's definitely, I'm feeling much more positive in general about the ecosystem and startup school for seniors is actually getting a lot of attention and funding and just generally people are getting excited about it because they recognize especially with covid that lots of people have lost their jobs and that's not going to stop anytime soon and there is a requirement to support people over 50 to figure out what the next step is so there's pots of money already there i suppose that's the that's the main thing with it, with all of this, isn't it? Is that is that you have to find these little gaps where where you kind of quite neatly slot in because the data and the evidence is there, and then people go, yeah, okay, I'll have that because you you fit a little gap in the market that we've found, and we're looking for something, and you fit it, great. So I can put, but if you don't fit it, like Nestle is more challenging because I'm not creating housing developments for over 50, in which case, you know, I might be able to go find a plot of land 
and just, you know, get some funding, build some homes and say it's for over 50s. It's just, it's a little bit more of an unusual way of living and therefore it's harder for people to pigeonhole. Mm. I do wonder those are quite often joked with girlfriends about, uh, you know, in, in later life forming some kind of commune of <laughs> kind of close-knit girlfriends and, you know, just having somewhere where we can, you know, all hang out together and have a lovely time. <laughs> there must be something in this. I'm sure we're not the only ones thinking along those lines, whereas, you know, most retirement um focused over 55s developments they're not looking necessarily at that kind of model it's you know you you're there on your own or you're there with a spouse or a partner or whatever not this kind of much more joyous kind of raucous (laughs) slightly kind of (laughs) university uh, reliving university days of, of kind of growing old disgracefully but I must say that that would definitely appeal to me (laughs) Well, this is kind of how it all began, because honestly, every single group of women, and it was always women, I have to say, that were talking about what does the future of getting older look like? How do I want to live? Everybody was having these conversations, everybody. Some of them said, oh, I'm not leaving the city. Some of them said, oh, no, I'd love to live out in the country in a big, big house where we all have our own wing. And we can yeah. just kind of get together. Everybody was kind of saying the same thing. And I and I and so Nestle feels to me like the beginning of that conversation, right? The beginning of what it could ultimately become, like Nestle Living or, you know, Nestle whatever, Nestle housing. I don't know. It's just it just felt like I needed to start somewhere yeah. with something that would start to get this idea of shared living going. And then once, if if I could get that working within people's own homes, then there was a possibility of figuring out how it would work on a larger scale in, you know, in this kind of style that you're talking about. What are the spatial requirements, right? What's the ideal amount of space? What kind of stuff do we want to collaborate with and come together about? And what stuff do we want? Like, no, no, no. I, I still want my own room to watch the telly. I still want to have my own kitchen, but I'm quite happy to meet for a meal on the Friday night, say, like in the, in the big dining room, but I don't want to eat in the big dining room every day because some, because I want to eat my breakfast on my own and read the papers or whatever. Um, (laughs) So it's sort of thinking about all of that, really. Yeah. It is interesting that it doesn't seem to appeal so much to men. Maybe no. it, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think women are just more sort of have those kind of closer knit friendship groups and kind of need that social interaction in a way that men don't seem to. I think that what I've seen with advantages of age, we initially, Rose and I really tried to try and encourage more men to come into the group. And we really did struggle with that. No matter how many conversations we were like, hey guys, you know, you want, want to pile in and say something about this? No, no, it was just everybody. Then we started meeting them. We started having like social events and stuff. And we started meeting guys who were in the group, but they were just really quiet. Like we said, why are you so quiet? And they said, oh, we just are really, we like being the fly on the wall and just watching what all all of you were talking about. Now, I would say over the past year, year and a half, they've really started to 
be much more vocal, which actually has been great. But generally, what we discovered, I would say, is that actually, as as tough as aging is for women and going through all the hormonal changes and all of the rubbish that goes on for like a decade, I just think that men struggle in silence. Mm. I see them all struggling but they're just like in their little man cave. Just yeah, I was going to ask if you think they had a, a, a much less positive outlook on that kind of, you know, aging, being older, feeling maybe like that, you know, they have less to kind of contribute maybe once they are not work. you know, they don't have that. Here's my, this is my career. This is my label. This is, you know, how I produce value in the world. Completely. And I think as well that, that they, women often feel liberated in later life because we've been, you know, if we've had children, it's most of us anyway, not everybody, but most of us, certainly me, you know, my kids are all grown up. They're out of the house. I got my time back. I can do what I want. I resumed. I got back into a singing career I had when I was in my twenties. I'm now gigging again. I'm doing all this kind of fun stuff that I really love. And I was just not able to do that when I was, when I was bringing up the family. So we just, yeah, we just find everybody's really creative. Whereas I think men attribute so much value to their working life. And if you don't have a hobby, if you don't have something that you get excited about outside work, then when you've retired, life's pretty barren, you know? It's a shock. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to bring the whole conversation down, but there is a high degree of suicide amongst older men. And uh, that is, I suspect, because they don't talk to anybody. They just kind of struggle along and suffer in silence. And, you know, whereas women will reach out to their friends if they're struggling and say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, what are you doing? Not not just older men, but yeah, just generally. I think that toxic masculinity of the stiff upper lip, but certainly for that, I guess, generation of maybe my parents, certainly, yeah, yeah, just weren't encouraged to to do the the feelings. No, so I think that's you know that's one big change, and I and I do think that they would appreciate as well just living with other people. Although my partner lives in a shared house and up the road and he really just wants to live on his own (laughs) he's just he's he's really happy living on his own he doesn't want to live with anybody you know yeah he just wants to be everyone is it (laughs) no but no but I do find more women say I would like to live in some kind of communal way still have my own space do my own thing and yeah I just think they're I mean what I've seen is that it's interesting, like during my 40s, I had almost no female friends. I was all about just dating and going out and having fun. And in my 50s, I have almost no male friends. I just have like a few really close ones. I have a partner, I have a really, really good friend, but I don't really speak to many men. And I find most of my friendships now are women. And that's just because they're just really positive And they don't make me, I'm not sitting there feeling like, oh, when, I got, when I've gotten off the phone with them. So, I yeah. will be fascinating, though, to see how that all of that co-living evolves um, over the next sort of 10, 20 years. I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating kind of dynamic. It's really interesting <laughs> to explore that a bit further and uh, 
yeah, I can only see it from, I guess, from the sort of the conversations that I'd had with like-minded female friends. But yeah, I hope uh, I hope the uh, hope the startup goes well. The reason why I've done Nestful and I haven't, I've, I actually have spoken to some developers, but I'm not, I'm not really focused on it, is because issues around land in this country are still a humongous problem, mm. and finding land in urban areas is next to impossible. So. The people I, there are people in advantages of age who have set up co-housing communities, which is where people have their own houses, and then there's some shared spaces where people can meet socially. But they've but they've got their own self-contained homes. Yeah, but, um, they've all had to leave London. You know, they've all because they just couldn't find the land to do that here. So. I think that's always going to be the big challenge is that people's desire to remain in cities and live in this communal way and the reality of how to actually make that happen is going to be, there's no, nobody's worked that out yet. There's nobody that's no worked that out. No. And the student housing market and the co-living market for younger people is mainly just around maximizing square footage, you know? So you create these little units that people live in, tiny little units. And then, you know, you give them like a bar downstairs and a cafe or whatever. D- different priorities at that time of life. <laughs> yeah, it's just a different type of thing. So I don't think people have talked to me and said, I'm really interested in what working with you on if we could do something with the over 50s. But I think the over 50s and their their requirements and these developers and what they need to make to make their budgets work, I just don't think they work. It's been so nice thinking about this uh, this alternative future kind of utopia of women hanging out with other amazing kick-ass women, growing their macrobiotic veggies on the roof, having a fabulous time, growing all disgracefully together. Exactly, with the occasional guy just dropping in every once in a while just for a, a dose of pessimism. Yeah. Not not long enough to mess the place up. It's going to be beautifully tidy and clean. Oh, it will be. It'll be spectacular. It'll be spotless. Oh, I I hope we can make it work. I th- I feel like if anyone could could make it work, someone with your energy and enthusiasm would be the one to do it. Is that? I definitely think so. I will be That's keeping an eye out for it. Thank you so much, Emma. It's been lovely to chat yeah, with likewise. you. Likewise, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, put some links to the the website. Have a fantastic thank day. You. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.